0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. This is going to be sort of a an interesting type um, show today. It's going to we're going to put it under David's pick and archive it under David's pick, but this is generally speaking our business hour, but um, we're gonna, we're expanding it sort of, and uh, all of my shows now, because of my friend uh, J. Roy that had the, the uh, surgery due to Agent Orange, we start off with just a brief moment of silence, and we'll be right back to you with three great guests today, and uh, something that's very near and dear to my heart, and uh, we'll start talking about it in just about one minute. Okay, thank you, and, uh, wanna to welcome to the studios. We've got Dave DeLapp, or Joe DeLapp, I'm sorry, and, uh, Istin Edge, Liston Edge, I'm sorry, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel, and, uh, we also have, um, uh, we also have Michael Roberts, and, uh, Joe DeLap. so that covers it I think and uh, as we go through this uh, we'll we'll be introducing each of them and uh, uh, this subject is very interesting because we've got people now coming back uh, as I've mentioned many times I was in the Vietnam era and I uh, a lot of my friends came back home and were not exactly welcomed. And then, but this was all—they were either volunteers or draftees, or they won the. Well, I don't know that you won the lottery, but you won a place in the army. That was for sure. Whether you were uh, what number you were in the lottery or whatever, but something happened uh, about. 20 years ago when the Twin Towers were attacked and uh, all of a sudden we realized that we didn't have the military that we had the standing military that we had had for years uh, our military in, in all areas had been reduced and uh, all of a sudden the uh, National Guard NGs and ARs Army Reserve were being called up and we started a campaign the radio station was basically brand new at the time but we started this deal of how important it was if your neighbor was an ng or ar that you helped that wife that was left behind and if it, it meant uh, changing the light bulb or mowing the grass or whatever but um and we we have pursued this more in that uh It's not just the one person, be he or she in the Army, whatever branch they're in, that goes in is deployed. It's the whole family is deployed, and everything changes from the diaper changing to the uh, money to get the kid to and from college. So the whole family changes when there's a deployment. And then there's the other side of the coin. I came back from BASIC and AIT and uh, was ordered not to wear my uniform going through, uh, going through airports, and uh, our, it was deplorable what our men and women went through going through airports coming back from Vietnam, absolutely terrible. And thank goodness today all of that's changed. And one little side note here that I always throw in, if if you're in an airport or wherever you might be and you see someone in uniform or wearing a veteran's cap of some sort that they served here, there, or wherever, buy a lunch, buy a dinner, and you'll think, oh, well, I'm doing that guy a favor. No, you're doing yourself a favor. You'll feel so good, you'll feel better than they will, in a million years and you will know what it means to say thank you to that it can be a first responder it can be a veteran it can be whatever the circumstance is but you'll be you'll feel better than the person you do it for so keep that in mind the next time you're out and you see someone that's a veteran or or on active duty i know i've got a son uh, on active duty and uh, major in the air force and uh uh we were kidding about that he's had a couple of situations where people have come up to him and thanked him for his service and uh, he uh, it's a little little different situation today on wearing uniforms through the the airports and so forth but with that said you know and i i don't think many people unless you've been there and done that appreciate the families and there's a transition period on leaving, but the gentlemen that are with me today are talking about the transition period of coming home and you know in seven years in Vietnam, lots of things changed by the time you came home, as far as today goes and and in Vietnam, I might add that obviously we didn't have the uh, instant communication and the ability to see your loved one and speak to them on a fairly frequent basis. It wasn't as bad as World War II where you'd mail a letter and three months later you'd get the response, but it's still, there's always that transition period and um, again, I I can only address to a degree uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm and, and this is where i, I got to throw in my politics a little bit. I, I have a real hard time swallowing our Congress, and someone that's never been shot at, never carried a weapon, never slopped through mud can dictate rules of engagement. They don't know what they're talking about, and that's my feeling. But with that said... I think I spouted off the names. We've, we've got Joe Lap here on my left. We've got Liston Edge in front of me. Poor man has to look right at me. I'm sorry, listening. If you want to move around where you don't have to look at me, that's fine. I understand. I can take a joke. But anyway, and then we've got Michael Roberts over here on my right-hand side. So uh, welcome to America's Web Radio. Did I say anything out of line on people transitioning? It's a transition for the person that goes, obviously, when they've been working or they've been doing this or doing that, particularly a reservist, but even someone that volunteers. They've gone from civilian life into a very structured life, to say the least. And um, then there's the return. And, you know, what you think might be might not be what you thought you were coming home to. So, uh Liston, you want to start the conversation out a little bit? Sure.
2: I, uh, I'm a Desert Storm veteran as well as a veteran of the long wars. I spent time deployed to Iraq, Kuwait, Yugoslavia, um, been married for over 30 years. And every time I came home, there's challenges. And you have to reintegrate with your family and you have to reintegrate with your children. And some people, it's very difficult. Um, That's why Warriors to Citizens is such a great organization, because the Army issued you lots of equipment, but they didn't give you a family. So they're very concerned about you turning in your weapons and making sure your gear's right. But the family piece was never really a focus point. Um, It's been better in the last 10 years than it ever was for the Vietnam-era soldiers and the World War II soldiers but Mike has started an organization and and runs an organization that does wonderful work.
3: Thanks, listen, and and, uh, David. It's certainly a a pleasure and honor to be here. Uh, You come so well uh, uh, recommended from friends of ours, and uh, Roger Wise and Rick White, and uh, and we're here with the pleasure of our counterparts at St. Jude's Hospital, and that we found a, a common link. Uh, the common link was not necessarily soldiers and the like but was the uh, integration issues that uh, young people and older people parents particularly so uh, have to engage in which is uh, the brokenness that occurs with cancer, and we'll have obviously an opportunity to explore that more today in discussion. Uh, we we started Warrior Sis in um, 2010 after a couple of years of working with the chaplains, the voice of the unheard voices of the soldier and the airman and the Marine, uh, because they were very quietly. Introspective and, and helping those veterans that were deployed and redeployed and redeployed again and took into account that they had a family. And the military, uh, my experience after 26 years of working in the intel community and the military, um, for the longest time, we never showed the family the system uh, that was broken how to repair and how to heal. And so Warriors Citizen, which, which is made up of literally over time hundreds of, of veterans like you that are retired, that are volunteers, that came together as a unit, as a group to help heal those broken families and give it in a significant way uh, a process that's traceable in terms of its results and very uniquely different because it's designed to, to bring the whole family system into play to heal the veteran. You, you. I'm
1: going to interrupt you, and, and you outrank me, so you can, uh, you know, I can do my ten if I have to. Uh, only but ten. Only ten. You, you, you went very rapidly past the name of your organization, and I want to make sure everybody understands it. It's Warrior. To Citizen. Yes. And uh, I guess you all also do the Warrior 2, the number 2, uh, and C, W2C. But uh, I want to make sure everybody understands the name is Warrior 2 Citizen. And it it says it like it is. It's from no matter where or what you were, it's a, a big fraternity out there of warriors. And uh, the common thing is that you have my back and I have yours, and then after that, you're back to a citizen.
3: Right, exactly. And and what we've experienced in this time frame over 20 years of warfare uh, was variance of concern on the part of the military and their hierarchy about that citizen called a warrior, but about that family that hopes, dreams, supports the warrior. And... Uh, we're just privileged to have had the opportunity to work with various levels of of, co- of content experts, of understanding the psychology of war, the psychology of healing. Uh, we have worked with all the university system in Georgia. We work with several university systems around the country. Uh, we work with Fort Benning. We've worked with uh, all different levels of content from the Marine Corps. Uh, and we have built a lot of friends around the country. And we're at a different stage today than we were, obviously, years ago. COVID has changed some of that. So the reach out and touch isn't quite the same thing as reach out and touch. Because we become all Zoom experts. Uh, but what we've done is some interesting future. Speak for yourself, by the way, on that oh, Zoom expert. I'm sure you have some competency there. <laughs> But I, my, my two good colleagues here, uh, Liston has been uh, uh, an example of someone that puts his time and talent to to help us. Uh, We have literally many, many more and we welcome many more because as a volunteer organization none of us gets paid for this and we're happy to do it. We're privileged to do it and we bring in a lot of good people around us like Liston and and certainly with Joe. Uh, I'd like to add that as an opportunity to to introduce Joe because Joe is very silent now at the moment and believe me he's not necessarily silent all the time. But I will tell you that Joe is an example of a civilian that has a heart and has a caring m- mantra and puts that to use. So, Joe, how about you describe a little bit about our relationship with Warrior Susan?
1: Well, First, I'll
0: say I, I, I didn't serve. Um, the opportunity really didn't hit me. But my dad served. He was a World War II fighter pilot, um, flew off the Enterprise, flew the F-4U, and um, I've always had an affinity for the military. That grew, and, th- and what brought uh, Mike's organization and my organization, which is St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, together was uh, one of my uh, friends, is General Tata, who used to run the uh, mountain division in Afghanistan. I think they say he was the number two general in, in Afghanistan. And he was coming to speak here in Melton, Georgia, and so I went to go see him speak. I'd never seen him speak before, and it was Veterans Day. He was at a book signing uh, event. There were 20 authors, and they had him, because it was Veterans Day, uh, lead off. And in the audience was maybe, there's about 200 people, and a third of them, I'd say, were, were vets, which really surprised me. Um, Tata, General Tata, uh, d- decided he was going to speak on um, uh, what it's like to be a general in the military, during war, you know, in combat. But the stories that he told really weren't about uh, him as a general. It really had more to do with his people. And I was really struck um, when I heard these stories uh, emotionally. I get emotionally even thinking about it, to be honest with you. Um, and I said, you know, what these guys go through in the military, uh, especially in combat, but I think other way, in other ways too, because they're away from home um it, de- it just deserves our attention and when i heard the stories it made me think that what families at saint jude go through as well you know they have a child who didn't volunteer to get cancer um and uh, they've got in many cases when they have these really bad pediatric cancers saint jude gets the toughest ones by the way uh they got to go to memphis and uh uh, the family has to uproot. St Jude provides housing for them there. They feed them. They, you know, a patient doesn't pay for anything at uh, St Jude treatment, food, transportation, or housing. And I thought, God, the same thing is going on with these these poor vets. They come back from home. A lot of them have long term. This is this is kind of what brought the two organizations together. Is that they both. Both sets of people have long-term needs, medical or psychological. Believe it or not, even even at St. Jude, there's psychological needs that are that need to be addressed by not just the the patient itself, but the family. And I saw a real commonality between the two organizations.
1: Now, Joe, can I? Uh, yep. Yeah. In St.
0: Jude's, wasn't that the Danny Thomas? Yeah. In 1962, Danny Thomas found out the hospital, and of all places, he decided to put it where the civil rights movement was probably the greatest in Memphis, and his goal was to get the greatest uh, physicians possible for pediatric cancer to come to Memphis, Tennessee. It was a, it was was No one believed him at the time, to be honest with you. He did a marvelous job. He set a tremendous culture.
1: And it's also in, what, L.A. as well?
0: There's one branch in California. There's one huge campus in Memphis, but St. Jude does four times the amount of research. as all the other hospitals, all the other governments in the world for pediatric cancer. Four times. And so all the treatment protocols are typically developed at St. Jude and then given out freely to the various other hospitals around the world. So we touch touch everybody. And we have... We have a nine point. I'm sorry. We have 11 million donors a year. If you can imagine, that, 11 million donors, and 9.5 of those donate every year. It's really uh, it's a cause. Just just as I'm struck by what Mike does in his group and what he's trying to do to help these veterans. I I was initially struck 16 years ago when I joined the board at St. Jude, the National Fundraising Board. I'm struck the same way. And that's what kind of brought us together. I I looked for an organization in the military after I heard General Tata speak. I looked for an organization, uh, and I first went to the Georgia National Guard, but there was a conflict there because the the active people can't work with a charity. So I ran into Mike. Mike was, I I run an HR company. I'm not an HR person, but I run an HR company. And Mike came to one of our presentations, and when he told me his background, I said, bingo. You know, I I found the group that you might be able to work with at St. Jude. St. Ju- and, and Saint Saint Jude typically does not raise money with another organization. This is a very unusual pairing. It took me a little time to convince everybody to do it, but they, they said, you know, thumbs up, let's do.
1: The general that you mentioned, uh, I'm sure knows the general that does has been doing a show here, um, General Dix, Richard Dix. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll ask. Uh, general Dix was, uh, he led the... Um, uh, mechanized into uh, Iraq and uh, he is, he's now he was retired general retired but uh, was called up by the administration to do the uh, logistics for the pandemic and uh, he's, he's oh, wow. away from us now for a couple yeah. of three months yeah, he's very good very very sharp wow. yeah very, pardon me very sharp oh yeah exceptionally so myself. you know Richard huh I've met him before yes yeah he's a good guy But then again, you know, I tell you, I'm very blessed in that, you know, we don't have many bad guys come in here. we we really uh, enjoy our veterans. We enjoy our active, and we enjoy uh, our civilians that take their time out to come in and and like you folks do a show with us, and uh, we appreciate it. If I, if
0: I can add just one other thing, you know, the the the, the thing I, I the thing that struck me when I was uh, listening to General Tatus speak, and from my own background, sixteen years at at St. Jude, was these people have long term needs. At St. Jude, the average patient cost, if they were paying in a, in a pay-for-service hospital, the average patient would shell out about $350,000. Now, what family what family can afford that? I, I can't, okay? Uh, and Mike, Mike is dealing as well with Worried to Citizen, Mike and Liston, they're dealing with, with people who need long-term needs
3: as well. And they, they can't do it by themselves, the top experts that come across this issue of, of emotional context in the military has um, risen to a cause where now uh, 38% of the veterans that have come across the playing field are committing suicide daily. Awful. Daily? which is profound, and what's happened is COVID has created a a, a mushroom cloud, basically, because, A, the treatments that are available for the veterans that are undergoing suicide ideations typically have been medical or peer-to-peer getting together and sharing the emotions so you catch it in advance. Warrior Citizen has worked with family-based treatment centers around the country to, to look at how can we be the crossroads? How can we inter, interject a process that's technically right and, and effective, and you can prove it, and what can we do to intervene in the suicide watch, so to speak? So we give programs for free to veteran families as long as six months. They can come to our counseling, to the professional licensed counselors, all of which have a military background or a law enforcement background. We work with law enforcement as well, public safety. So what we've tried to do is bring in and bundle the same common threads that exist for police, fire, and EMS. And what do they experience differently than a warrior that comes back from Iraq or Afghanistan? A lot of the same things. So what we have now crafted together going forward is the recognition that brokenness occurs in a lot of ways, with a lot of people that we can touch and make an impact on. And that's what we were so impressed with St. Jude's Hospital, that they in turn share that same mantra, brokenness can be healed, can be repaired. And we use some of the same techniques and capabilities. And that's what's bring us together as two disparate teams working trying to bring to the, to the listening public, this is a serious issue for our country. These are, to own and be a stakeholder in the solutions doesn't mean saying thank you very much, glad you served. It means rolling up your sleeves and doing something, even baby steps make a difference. You know, I I hate to say this, but
1: um, some of what you you all are dealing with on a day in and ba- day out basis of military. We're about to get slapped, and we we use the term PTSD. It used to be shell shocked, or this, or that, or whatever you want to call it. Right. But it's it's trauma. It's a brain Sorry. trauma right. of sort. It may not be a physical wound or anything else. But I've seen something, or I've done. But everybody better prepare for the coming days when when our situation of today is over with. There are going to be a ton of civilians that are going to need help. And it may be help from the next-door neighbor or the church or if we can ever go back to church. Um, but we're going to be facing something with that will make PTSD or, or numbers small compared to what's what's going to happen because we're coming again. We're switching from civilians that... if. I decided I wanted an ice cream cone at 9 o'clock at night, I could go get one and now you can. not And so all of a sudden when this the world flips over again we're going to have a lot
3: of people with a lot of questions. Well let me interject to your point, one thing that's really key. Uh, there are social scientists all over the world that have a lot to say about transitions and, integra- and reintegration and an emotional context of the damage that's been done, not only by the war, but by being away from the community that supports them. So we learned that in Vietnam, right? They came back and there was they were cast stones at and all kinds of terrible things. That had a very dramatic impact and homelessness becomes a leading ticket for the Vietnam veteran, would you believe, in Atlanta, for example. On the other side of the coin we have an opportunity as civilians as stakeholders in society to do the things that are the construct that we know works to heal and that is give continuity, give communication and give and give community. Those three elements have been identified by the social scientists as the most important ingredients to healing a veteran family. community, continuity and communication now they comes it comes in a variety of flavors but it's up to you and i and everyone in this community to say we owe something to the veteran we owe, we all owe basically the protection of our society to that veteran and that family that sacrificed so many years. And and to that same goal and that same aim, I think we owe something to communities like like St. Jude's that sacrifice so much to heal that that family that's undergoing brokenness and trauma. So that's our common link. Uh, Guys like Lieutenant uh, Colonel uh, Liston Edge, who's taking very important time away from his his uh, vocation of trying to move to the next level and where he's going in his career, the fact that he donates time and devotes time to us is also appreciated. So I thought I'd share that. And thank you also for enjoying the pleasure of my colleague's company, not so much my own. Thank you.
2: And the big thing that we're here to talk about is Warriors for Hope, which is a joint fundraiser that we're doing with St. Jude's and Warriors to Citizens. And it's going to, because of COVID and everything else going on in the world, it's going to be a virtual fundraiser uh, on the 28th of January. There'll be online auctions There'll be an opportunity to give. We're looking for sponsors to help us um, provide funds for these two great causes. Um, Lee Greenwood's going to be our MC. We'll have CC wines uh, lots of other guests, people speaking, people talking. It'll be on YouTube and other platforms.
1: How many times are you going to have Greenwood sing? <sighs>
2: uh, that
0: uh, I can answer that one. He, he's he's going to sing uh, his most famous tune. God bless the USA. Uh, he's actually going to do some things for sponsors too, with, with the introduction to that song, and give a video. Um, but he, uh, we have four main speakers. Um, we have uh, Grant McGarry, who wrote a book on the uh, Valley of the Pesh. Yeah, he he's, of the a, he's a he's a he's uh, a ranger vet, and uh, book talks about how they were ambushed um, in.
2: Is it Afghanistan? It's Afghanistan. 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 Yeah,
0: Um And uh, his best friend, I think, was standing next to him when he was shot and killed. Um, then we have uh, General Carver, who's a two-star general. He'll be speaking. Uh, he's uh, he heads up the chaplains, and he's seen the families that, that once they once they, well while they're in the uh, military as well as after he has seen what happens to these, you know, these brave, courageous guys. Thirty-five years. Uh, I,
1: I, we had, uh, I don't know if you know Mark uh, Be- uh, Beatty, uh, chaplain. Uh, we've had a couple of chaplains on, and uh, a lot of folks don't understand the power of the chaplain in the military. Mm-hmm. Um my hometown while I was in, uh, AIT was hit by a tornado and, uh, I went to my CO to get an early out. I liked a week of getting out anyway, so it wasn't like it was a major crisis, but, uh, my CO wouldn't, wouldn't let me out and, uh, so i went to the chaplain and two hours later i was on a plane home and uh that's the, the chaplains have incredible power i can only address my army unit but i would assume so in in other units uh be a navy or whatever that's branch right. you might be in but uh would love to have him on sometimes they're the,
3: they're the trusted agent of the commander So there isn't anyone else you can just open your heart to as a commander than the chaplain. And we dealt with uh, working with the state chaplain's office and the chaplain of the National Guard for two years, and we interviewed 4,112 military families from Afghanistan. Wow! And, and when that job was done, we ended up designing a program that's you know, broad-based treatment for veterans and their families, most importantly their families. Uh, it was a six-month time frame that we would donate to them. We raised funds to get them to go through the program. Uh, we'd focus on brokenness and healing, which is no surprise at this discussion. And, uh, and now where we're staged is to train Trainers with the VA around the country, and now we've entered the digital age. So I'm going to call on you to see if you could help us. But we, what we've done is we've built a a platform in the process with Price Waterhouse Cooper's grant to go build out a, a vehicle that will hit every desktop in America, and that's by June of next year. Uh-huh. So and then we have content from two major international publishers that are willing to commit to the veteran cause and the family cause and donate their the access to this content that's very rich in terms of education. So we'll have a psychoeducational platform, a teletherapy platform, and all to the degree of which Came from volunteerism. Well,
1: you'll have to talk to Brett. I'm I'm just a poor boy from Texas, and uh, Brett's the IT, and he he knows all the technical stuff. Yes, uh, I just know where the key
3: is. Uh, okay.
0: So, so David, we as Liston said, we we kick off with Lee Greenwood. Um, he he's going to sing some music. Uh, C.C. Winans, uh, she's a three three time Grammy Award winner. Uh, she's going to sing the anthem. We have Rocky Blyer, who will follow that. For those that remember the Pittsburgh Steelers, when they won four Super Bowls, Rocky was the one of the running backs and, and infamous. And he's also a bronze, bronze medal award yeah, winner. To, uh,
2: bronze, star, purple, bronze star. Bronze star, 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 star sorry. Yeah, Sound in the military.
0: These guys, know,
1: Not winner, recipient.
0: Yeah, recipient, sorry. <laughs> and then, as I said, uh, Grant McGarry follows that. And then uh, we have uh, General Carver. And then we have a St. Jude family. So we start with... Um, what goes on in the military with Grant and what these guys go through. General Carver translates that from another side about uh, emotional things, the, the physical th- the trauma that the families go through. We actually see trauma. We we see what a St. Jude family goes through and, and how St. Jude helped them. And then we end with... Uh, Uh, John Stegman, who is the CEO of HD Supply, and he has marshaled his organization there. He's doing what we're trying to preach, is that these people are very worthy of our help. They need our help. And uh, they're lo- it's long-term. It's not something like you give something and, they, you know, they, it's nice when people get homes. I'm not taking anything away from that because that's also a long-term thing. But these people really suffer over a long period of time. So we're trying to make sure that there's funds to help them. You know, get back to where they should be. So, S- John Stegman talks about how he actually got his organization to do just that. He got the whole chari- uh, the whole organization behind a charity.
1: Michael, let me ask, uh, Joe, either one, uh, as I'm listening to you and have known, I couldn't tell you how many vets, and, and sure. uh, uh, more from Meyer, which was the Vietnam War, but also from. Uh, you know Desert Storm and Desert Shield, and we've gone through so much since 2001. But knowing vets like I do, and I think I know them pretty well, how do you how do you get to the vet that? And I know you've had to come across this more than once. There's nothing wrong with me. I don't need anything. How do you get to them and and explain? Well, yeah, Mike, you, you do need a little help, and, and yeah. we're the organization that can help you. Yeah. First of all, you,
3: you can't push sand against a tide, right? So
1: I had a, my, One of my
3: roommates had a beautiful saying that's just like that. You can't push a string. Yeah. So, so how we self-identify, first of all, how we self-identify. Um, we educate at the platoon level. That's being done because there's a variety of programs about suicide prevention. Uh, we do some of those programs. Uh, the, the, the essence in the simple word is two words, build trust. You and I, if we're serving in a platoon, we, we, we know each other's back. We, 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 we're there for you, right? Right. So now we step out of the uniform and we go out to the college campus, and now we're reintegrating into a college campus. You may be an E six retired that commanded, a, you know, a, an organization that was in special forces, and you had a great deal of responsibility, and you came back, and now you have twenty year olds in your class that you just don't relate to. You, you, matter of fact, you're so far ahead of them in a lot of context that. You leave school more than you stay in school. So that's a challenge. And what we've learned what works mostly, including these public safety folks, is a peer network that you can trust first. Now, we happen to be chaplain-led, so we're in that thread of being chaplain-led, and therefore we build trust pretty quickly. And as we build trust, they share, and then we redirect and educate through psychoeducation and counseling. As long as that access is there and it doesn't cost them any money, or the donors, of course, we depend upon donors to make that a reality, then they come to us and they volunteer that maybe they we're hurting, maybe we have a problem at home, and then we discover the problem at home is greater than the problem at home. It's them. And then they end up having to volunteer into programs. In the past, we would offer these programs on... On on, uh, a stage process, we'd get counselors to work with them for a month, identify that they wanted to make a change, bring the family together with them to commit to support that change, and then they'd go to a four- or five-day retreat, very intense, very scientifically designed. They would walk away from that, typically speaking, transform. So, for example, for the Marriage Enrichment Program, Home Life Transition Program, we've had about 250 Families go through that program. Maybe eighty percent of which were on the edge, so to speak, needing help, so to speak. There were only seven in seven years that are divorced of that of that pot of two hundred and fifty families. And we have a tremendous amount of success in those arenas. And there are several other platforms that we provide that focus on again brokenness and healing, but for children ages seven to seventeen. We're single soldiers that just want to get better at living life. And then we bring teams together around them that support a peer network. And that's where we are going in the future, even more so than we've been in the past. We're at a stage now of reaching a lot more people. If we have a visible engine called the, the Internet... If we design that properly, people will adopt that at least in, in some part that it may be in America's Georgia where there's no team to go physically visit with them. Now they have something as hybrid. And that's what we're hoping to achieve in 2021.
1: We're going to take uh, our – in fact, I'm only going to do one break here in the show, as a matter of fact, because I can do that. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment talking more about veterans and helping them and helping their families. And uh, St. Jude's is just beyond incredible. Um, But we'll be back right after this.
0: I'm your host, Dr. Hal. Every week we come to you with the information that you need so that you will be prepared to advocate for your family and for yourselves when the it comes to your health care. we to talk about maybe a little bit more about get the peer to peer relationships and and the, in the Senate. Another and the left, for for left gets the what they want, which is a majority um, in Congress please. and the White House.
2: Thanks to the First internet, of all, health care will be, be more
0: expensive. The there initially years, will be a public and I still option. Get
2: phone calls the government will run it. guys off they
0: will be initially very inexpensive, and it will drive commercial payers out of the health care market. Then the choices will disappear. The only insurer out there will be the federal government, mm-hmm. and that's when we get a single payer.
2: My father-in-law went to Hillsdale. Really? What mm-hmm. year? 61 62
0: you're listening to America's web radio on the
3: com. thank you for listening we are helping by restoring optimism and and, and then resilience people on board uh, which was creating an environment for optimism
1: have to come back okay and we're back on America's web radio and sort of a uh, a different David's pick, but a, a great David's pick, and we're we're talking something that again is um, if you've served, you're familiar with it, and uh, also, I, I, do you all do very
3: much with um, with first responders? We do. Okay, yes, we we led um, a a program about a year ago. Uh, with 75 jurisdictions of responders in our state uh, for a day, uh, and we held it up at uh, uh, up in Alpharetta. The chief of police and public safety, John Robinson, hosted that program. Wonderful patriot, by the way. Um, Absolutely. And and we then spent. Six months of riding around in fire engines and police cars and uh, tapping into the 911 system as they experienced it, and then had this workshop for a day. Well, the buzz was very strong. Uh, there was not a soul in the entire organization that came that day, over 75 of them. Uh, maybe it was more, actually, but 75 jurisdictions. And they absolutely were thinking this is exactly what we need. Now, what we learned in the military about once you discover what the pain points are and what they need, then the brass has to come in and take over and fund something, because it costs money to do these programs. With us, it didn't cost anything. Uh, They didn't pay for a a penny. Uh, But to carry on and make this viral around our state would cost money, and therefore someone has to adopt that as a program in the government-sponsored program. The possibilities are very profound that not only is it necessary, but after what's happened over the last year in our social structure, defund police and those type of things, it, it, in, so the psychological impact on police, fire, and EMS is profoundly negative. You know, we... Uh and I've done this. I was an EMT many,
1: many years ago when I could still lift the body. But uh, uh, this was when I was in in school. But uh, even then, I would do the same thing, and that's uh, we had a ride-along program. And I these – I don't want to call them people, and I don't want to be totally disrespectful, but these animals that have been causing the problems mm-hmm. – Every one of them should be stuck in a cop car from midnight to 7 for about two or three months and see what those policemen go through. And then, after that, they should be stuck in the back of an ambulance and get bled on or thrown up on or whatever and find out what EMTs and and our first responders really do. And then... I'll still shoot them if they touch my flag in any way, but, uh, you know, they just don't know, and this this is the problem with our society today, and I blame, one, I, you, I blame our public education right. on it, and secondly, I blame the computer that we've taken away... If I want an answer, I type it in and Google it, and I get the answer. That's not the answer. The answer is to be there, done that, and right. see what it and smells like. Yeah. Uh, with a nose like mine, that was my biggest problem uh, as an EMT was, yeah. uh, and and the same way with uh, with being a vet or anything else is that, and this is part of the trauma. and, and I look at our police officers as military, which they're not. Half of them, them, right. But, at the same token, they put on that uniform and that badge, and they go to war every night. That's right. And hopefully they come back the next morning, or every day. It doesn't matter, day or night. And the trauma and the mental harassment that their family goes through is, is just at, oh, it's yeah. beyond. And so that's why, you know, everybody should get into a ride-along program
3: with their local police department. May I ask a, a comment? Were you able to reach out to any of you, the local politicians about uh, your views of this uh, landscape? Uh, it's a it's an issue to us. It's an, uh, very, very difficult to understand. How will it would be so obvious that we have policemen, firemen, EMS workers that are protecting our societies in our backyard, and we're rejecting them to the extent at which there's an all-time suicide rate? that's profoundly larger than ever in the history of our country that our police fire in EMS, And the suicide rate is because there's no one to listen. And what we learned in the Army, there were two different generals that happened in maybe about 2008, 2010, uh, General Chiarelli, who changed the shape of being open about what was really happening in the military in terms of suicide prevention and what were the cause and effects. And he's one of the champions that I can think of that influenced what we did. And I finished in 2006 in the field, and my sense is General Chiarelli never stopped. And what he has been responsible for is a change of culture. So that's why we, we have defined a General Chiarelli in, uh, in the public sector to stand up for these veterans and that are half of them are uh, pl- police, fire, and EMS, half of them are veterans, stand up for their rights and speak loudly from the platform that they need help and their families they help
1: you know it's just like i uh, spouted off and i my dad used to try to keep me from spouting off but uh now i have a platform to spout off but um, it upsets me that we have i think we have one maybe two people in congress that ever served And it also upsets me that less than one percent of our nation ever serves, and that's sickening. We've got the greatest nation in the world, and we should be proud as citizens to serve, not try to run away from it. And I was talking to uh, Rick last night, as a matter of fact, or yesterday afternoon, late, Uh and. he was thanking me for uh, what I'd said, but we, we promote the military for an occupation. It's a great place to go. If you're undecided and you're graduating from high school or from college and you haven't made up your mind, the military, whatever you want to do, from if you want to be an underwater fish counter. You can do that, you know. Anything that you want to do, the military right. has a place for you right. and can improve whatever you're doing and give you the opportunity to come out and be very well paid for the training that you've gotten from f- for free from the military. And we encourage, you know, there's a, there's a thing in people's minds, which is, I guess some of it goes back to, Vietnam, some of it to Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the military protect and defend, and sometimes it means carrying a weapon and using it. But it's not all that way. It's not, yeah. and it doesn't, or it doesn't have to be. You can have an MOS that, you know, like you were in Intel. My son that's a major in the Air Force is in Intel, right. and um. You know, it's funny. I can tease him about when I can tell if he's calling the shots or not. But right. uh, you know, it's it's there's a place for you in the military if you're young and you want an occupation. You can either stay in and increase that occupation in the military, or after you've served your time, you get out and somebody—I can almost guarantee you—will be waiting to hand you a check to come to work for him. Yeah. And uh, it's a greatest life you can have. Yeah. And if I
3: weren't so damn old, I'd join up again. It's it's interesting you say that because there's probably a, a, your wisdom and your background and experience could, it could probably play out very well in a lot of arenas, <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, it, it's a it, well, I left IBM for a, a, re, a recruited out of IBM and in artificial intelligence which was my career. And You know, I was a young guy. I was, I don't even know how old I was, in the 1980s, so I'm not a young guy anymore. But I would tell you this, that if I was to redirect my sons, as an example... I would easily find it ideal to say, here's a career path that you can name your choice of what you want to do. You want to be in finance? You can be in finance. You want to be in technology? You can find a way to be in technology. If your son's working for the Air Force in the intel community, that's the premier institution for, for let's say, uh, IT. Let's just call it IT. But there's a tremendous amount of opportunity, to your point. And with these young men and women that are coming out today culturally have never been taught that. And I think that's the whole context of where we're going, is that for the last 50 years, perhaps as long as that, we've not had a draft, or 40 years maybe it's been, and we've not had anybody that would hold the flag up and say in a college campus, hey, this is exactly why you need to be redirecting your career. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, um, it's
1: uh, our country has gone through a lot, and we continue to go through unchartered waters. And uh, right. I appreciate what you all are doing. And you know, the from what I'm getting from you all is that you've you've sort of broken a boundary of of. Uh, helping and a lot of people like i said earlier uh well i don't need help or i don't you know and yet there are a lot of fine folks that that need help and
2: uh, well and mike mentioned that peer-to-peer yeah. so as a guy who's been retired since 2014 i still get texts and emails and um, linkedin messages that tell me hey i need help something's not right you yeah. K- and often, you know, us veterans, um, you got to look after your battle buddies. You got to sit down and talk to them and talk them off the ledge. Because, again, 22 suicides a day uh, from the Army, uh, that's 22 guys too many that killed themselves every day. Um, the divorce rate. Uh, through the military have been higher. That's why you know, this this family program is so wonderful because it, it tries to it, it, it's one of the few places where the family gets the priority and not just the soldier. Um, the other piece that transformed military several years ago was allowing military guys to go see professional help. Yeah. Uh, for years, if you went and did that as an MI guy, Mike would have lost his clearances. Sorry. And now the military has finally realized that after traumatic events and after some of the challenges you go through on a deployment and then turn around and go to the next deployment a couple of years later and then a third deployment, you need some time and you sometimes need some help talking to someone. And now that is encouraged. It's uh, it's helped uh, a lot of the people that I know that are still in and that have recently retired because they learn important things like trigger points and what What makes them not feel good and how to address feelings of everything from guilt because you lived to... I didn't do enough or, you know, I should have done this different or questioning a decision you made that may have cost someone their lives or uh, anything else. So mixing those mental help and then with the chaplains as well where you get that spiritual backbone uh, is really great about this organization. And um, I, I feel really strongly about it, and that's why we're, we're doing a fundraiser so that next year, hopefully COVID will back down a little bit and then we can do more face-to-face and group things for our team and if not we'll take those funds and we'll put that toward virtual uh, classes and virtual things online where we can reunite those families and keep that that those people together because they've given so much to the country and they've given so much they've lost so much from their family. I know I miss many years of my kids growing up. Um, and, and, and my father was a Vietnam vet. My grandfather was a World War II vet. I understand the letters. When I was in Desert Storm, we didn't have telephones and instant right. communication. When I was in Yugoslavia, I was able to talk to my wife once a week um, on the phone, and I got that because I was a commander. And often I had to get take messages for my soldiers' wives and go find them and go, hey, your wife's in trouble. She needs you to talk to her and make sure that he got back to make a phone call. Um, In the current thing with Iraq, it's interesting because now you can text and you get Facebook and you can see pictures. But that's still not the same thing of missing the football games, not seeing your kids do things. So, Uh,
1: It's all a sacrifice. And uh, this is... I, I just have this real problem well it's, it goes back to the old American Indian, a lot of people think it's from another text but it was an American Indian that told one of the commanding officers that was uh, had they'd been in war together and the commanding officer was ready to destroy the tribe or whatever, and uh, the Indian came to him and said, you don't know what we've gone through until you walk a mile in my Moxicans. A lot of people say walk a mile in my shoes or whatever, but actually it was an American Indian that walked a mile in my... And, you know, I, like I said, I, I have a real problem with our House and Senate, and... and uh, Oops! It's time we're going to have to get away from this. Uh, but it's uh, people don't understand, and that's and it's up to you all to help educate them. And I'm if if you'll let me, I'll open the station up to you anytime. Thank you. Thank you. You, you need it and uh, sure. i want to talk to you after the show for just a second about sure. something sure. we're going to be doing okay great and, uh, can,
0: can we just say we would like people to go to warriors for hope the website and they'll see a lot of information
1: about this right. event they will be january 28th give the website again uh, warriors for hope warriors for hope okay and uh, folks thank you for joining us this morning <laughs> and uh, We look forward to a beautiful day here in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, look forward to uh, working with you all more in the very near future. And uh, thank you for coming in, and this has been quite informative. Thanks, David. Thank you, you, David. David. Thank you very much.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.